Episode 41, The Golden Age of Exploration. Hi, my name is Clayton Mills. Welcome to A Short Walk Through Our Long History, a podcast where we look at the events of history and examine how those events shaped our modern world. One of the things you might have noticed in the past few episodes, besides the fact that we are jumping around in time a bit, was that we actually got to the 1500s. For example, as I said, the High Renaissance ended in 1520 with the death of Raphael. Now, as anyone with any sense of history at all knows, by getting into the 1500s, we have missed one of the most historic dates of all time. 1492. Famous and infamous, but no doubt one of the most important dates in history. But before we get to Columbus sailing the ocean blue, there were some other previous explorations by people from other countries as well. First of all, we have to acknowledge that the Viking explorers, like Leif Erikson, had actually sailed to the New World about 500 years earlier, right around 1000 AD. But that information had just never reached the overall consciousness of Europe. And after the Vikings, no one really explored that way for a while. Also, remember that we talked about Marco Polo a few episodes ago? After his book came out, people all across Europe were aware of the riches of the Far East. At the beginning of the 1400s, the only way to get goods from India or China was to travel east from Europe through Arab and Persian lands, and then get to the south side of Central Asia, maybe, and then sail to India, and then around India to China. Or you could perhaps take the Silk Road and stay on the ground the whole way, traveling overland to China. It was a good bit faster to sail, though, than to do the whole trip on land. Both routes had their challenges. But people knew that India and China were over there. And What the countries of Europe really wanted was a way to get over there without having to deal with the Arab and Persian middlemen. The problem was that Africa was just in the way. They couldn't sail there from the Mediterranean because of Africa. But people began to wonder if they could just take their own ships without worrying about the Arab middlemen's ships and sail all the way around Africa. But no one knew exactly how big it was. It might take a bit longer, but it would be cheaper in the end, and there wouldn't be any middlemen, plus you'd be in your own ship the whole way. Well, one of the countries that just happened to be geographically positioned well in a way that they could explore this idea was Portugal. It already had a lot of ports that were outside the Mediterranean, and Portuguese merchants and sailors had already explored down the west coast of Africa a ways. They had discovered and claimed the Canary Islands and the Azore Islands out in the Atlantic, and Portugal was developing a very good set of naval navigators. One of the early ones was a guy named Henry the Navigator. Great name for a navigator, right? He developed several methods to help navigate, including navigating by the stars and using a magnetic compass. These ideas had been around, but Henry made them better. In the mid-1400s, he helped organize a series of Portuguese explorations farther south down the African coast with the goal of getting all the way around Africa and then maybe going around it and sailing east back to India. They also made some very detailed maps that helped subsequent sailors. Henry also apparently helped develop a type of small, sturdy, ocean-going ship called a caravel, 
which was well suited to these longer exploration voyages. In part because of a good design for its mainsails, caravels were able to tack against the wind. Now, tacking is where you sail in a zigzag pattern against the wind, but still going generally in the direction that the wind is coming from. You're sort of zigzagging back and forth into the wind each time, but gaining ground. And before that, you couldn't do that. You'd always get blown away by the wind. This ended up being very important in sailing around the very windy southern end of Africa, where the wind was mostly blowing to the west, making it very hard to sail to the east. That end of Africa is now called the Cape of Good Hope, because if you were coming around it from the east, going back west, going home, it meant that you were now heading home. But before it got the name the Cape of Good Hope, it was called the Cape of Storms, because it was so stormy and windy. So the Portuguese explored down the West African coast, and they found gold, and they found supplies, including food and water, and they also found tribes that were willing to sell their neighboring tribes into slavery. So the Portuguese explorers got rich on slaves and gold. And the people who funded this Portuguese explorers got rich too. And so people were more interested in exploring further down Africa. It kind of builds on itself as you gain some success in it. Meanwhile, it wasn't just the Portuguese who were exploring. The French, the Spanish, and the English were also all sending out ships in different directions. They knew of the Portuguese successes, and they were eager to explore their own things in the same way. So in early 1492, a merchant sailor from Genoa approached the king and queen of Spain, who at the time was King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. And he asked them for funds to hire three ships and fit them out with supplies, and then sail straight out to the west to find a new route to China. This was, of course, Cristobal Colon, or as we know him, Christopher Columbus. Now, of course, at this time, not everyone believed that the earth was a sphere that you could sail around. There were still a lot of flat earthers at this point, even well before the internet had been invented. And those flat earthers could not believe that you could get to the east by sailing west. Columbus had seen maps of the world, flat maps, including the famous Fra Mauro map that I mentioned back in episode 36. And he also apparently had his own copy of Marco Polo's book. But Columbus understood that the earth was a sphere, a globe, and he believed that China was only about 3,000 miles west of Europe. Well, okay, China is actually about 12,000 miles west of Europe, but hey, who's counting? He convinced Ferdinand and Isabella that he could sail west and then in a couple of months get to China. So they gave him three ships, the famous Niña, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. If you look at pictures of the Niña, Pinta, and Santa Maria, or recreations of them, you'll recognize these are not big ships. They were really smaller ships designed for sailing close to the shoreline, not across the North Atlantic. But Columbus and the ships set sail in August of 1492. The voyage was difficult, and several times the sailors on board the ships had to be convinced not to mutiny and turn back. But on October 12th, 1492, they sighted land. It's hard to overstate how important this moment was, right? It literally changed the world. It's a totally different kind of moment than when Gutenberg created his printing press in a little shop in Germany, or when Julius Caesar was assassinated in the Senate, or when Luther posted the 95 Theses. But this was one of those moments. It was a huge moment in the history of the world. Everything changed after this. I imagine it was kind of a big moment for the sailors on the three ships when they finally saw land after three or four hard months of sailing. But they could not have known 
they couldn't have had any idea how big a deal it really was. Columbus's ships had found an island in what is now the Bahamas, most probably the island of San Salvador, though no one knows exactly where they landed first. That's kind of ironic, that. This huge moment discovering an entirely new continent, and no one knows that's what they've done, and no one knows exactly where it happened. Columbus and his ships sailed to other Caribbean islands on that voyage, including the island of Hispaniola and Cuba, and they left some sailors there on Hispaniola to establish a colony. It was the first European colony on the New World since the Vikings, although it didn't last. Then in 1493, Columbus sailed back to Spain, and he brought back some gold and some captive natives. Columbus had given these natives the name Indios, the Spanish word for Indians, since he thought that he had discovered some of the islands off the coast of India. Now, word of the Indios and the gold from Columbus's discovery quickly spread all over Europe. Spain sent Columbus back for three more journeys where he found other Caribbean islands, and he also eventually hit the Central American mainland. I'm going to talk more about Columbus and his legacy in the next episode when we look at the Spanish colonization of the New World. Now, Columbus, for his part, through the rest of his life, maintained the story that he had found a route to India, or at least to China, but people really began to doubt this pretty early. Another early explorer, an Italian explorer named Amerigo Vespucci, sailed to the New World on behalf of Spain in 1499, and then he sailed again on behalf of Portugal in 1501. And when he went there, he made some very detailed maps of the South American coast. When he got back to Europe, Amerigo Vespucci published his maps and his books of his travels, and he was among the first to claim this was not India or China, but a whole new world. In 1507, a cartographer named Waldseemuller published a map of some of the coastline of the New World using some of Amerigo Vespucci's drawings, and he labeled this New World America in honor of Vespucci. So lots of subsequent mapmakers followed suit, and the name America stuck. I guess it has a better ring than Vespuccia, so we got that going for us. The United States of Vespuccia. I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't quite sit right. Anyway, thank you, Waldson Mueller. Let's call it America. In addition to Columbus and Vespucci, lots of other explorers landed in the New World. Before we get to those guys landing in the New World, we need to go back for a moment to the Portuguese guys who are trying to get around Africa, because this is all happening at about the same time. In 1497, a Portuguese expedition led by a captain named Vasco da Gama sailed around Africa and then across the Indian Ocean, and it got to the port of Calicut in India. Now this, like Columbus's discovery of the New World, was a huge, huge deal. Now honestly, as far as a trading venture with India went, it wasn't actually very successful, but it showed that it could be done. After he returned home, they sent several armadas to India, more or less to force the Indians to trade with Portugal. Da Gama led the fourth armada, so he was on the first, he was on the fourth, and the trade routes to India and soon to China and around the southern tip of Africa were now open. The map of the globe was starting to come together, and actually it was becoming more and more clear that it was a globe and not a flat map. Portugal would go on to exploit their explorations in Africa and India, but they would also land in the New World in what is now Brazil. For being such a tiny country geographically, 
Portugal soon held immense holdings in the New World and incredibly profitable trading relationships in Africa, India, and Brazil. On the website, I've got a picture of an amazing map showing the dates of all the Portuguese discoveries over about 100 years. It's pretty dang impressive. They went everywhere. But Portugal was not the only country exploring. The Dutch, who were already sea traders, built larger exploration ships, and they also sailed around Africa, even going farther than the Portuguese. They got around to exploring the New World eventually, and they set up colonies in the area that is now New York, but at the time they called it New Amsterdam. We'll come back to that in the next episode. But there was another Italian explorer who was exploring for another nation that we need to talk about before we wrap up this episode on the early history of exploration. Giovanni Caboto was most likely from Venice, but he left there apparently because of some unpaid debts. In 1495, he arrived in England, where he became known as John Cabot. He managed to pull together some financing, and he set sail like Columbus looking for a route to China. He was convinced that by sailing farther north, that his route would be shorter. In 1497, at the same time as Vasco da Gama was setting sail for India, John Cabot set sail from Bristol, England, heading west. He apparently landed in Newfoundland, but like Columbus, no one's quite sure exactly where it was he landed. Somewhere on the island of Newfoundland is the best guess, but the records from the voyage were lost, so it's not certain. In any case, he claimed some land for England, then he sailed back to Bristol. He was received quite honorably by the king, Henry VII, and then sent back later on a subsequent voyage, apparently. He went back, and according to what records we do have, he explored from Newfoundland down possibly all the way to New York and then back to England. They left behind, according to what records we do have, one small colony, but it's not clear where and it didn't survive. But it might have been the first English colony in the New World, and Cabot's explorations definitely set the stage for lots of subsequent English ventures. And, well, that's going to be very important here in a few hundred years. So when he returned back to England after his first voyage, he was quite the celebrity. And it appears that he was sent back for this second voyage, but the records for that one are lost as well, and the records aren't clear about what happened to him at all. So there are records that do seem to point to a second voyage, the one that goes all the way down to New York. But... After that, Cabot basically vanishes from the historical record. However, in 1508, his son, Sebastian Cabot, undertook the most extensive exploration of North America yet, going from Hudson Bay in the far north of Canada all the way down the coast, all the way to Chesapeake Bay, which is where Washington, D.C. is nowadays. When Sebastian Cabot returned to England in 1509, however, King Henry VII had died, and the new king, Henry VIII, was too busy killing off his wives and leaving the church to be bothered much with exploration. So Sebastian Cabot went to Spain and did some subsequent exploring for Spain. Now, obviously, we're going to come back to Henry VIII, very important guy, but that's a few episodes away. Next episode, we'll come back to Spain and we'll look at all the early Spanish and Portuguese exploration in the New World and the surprisingly advanced civilizations that they found there. <music>